as we get started, I invite you to consider the degree to which you align with each of the following five statements. Do you feel them strongly, a medium amount, or not much at all? There's no right or wrong answer, by the way. But here they are. First, evangelical is a divisive word. A person can be evangelical and not Christian. Evangelical is primarily a theological word. Evangelical is primarily a political word. And finally, I feel really clear about what the word means. In July of 2019, Curtis and I recorded a podcast about our not yet existing church addressing the question, are we evangelical? It is still our most downloaded episode from that early era of describing our hoped for hypothetical church. In that episode, we especially unpacked four theological distinctives of the historic evangelical tradition. First, a high view of the authority of the Bible, that the Bible is seen with high regard and that people would say, I defer to what it says in terms of how I'm going to live and what it tells me about God. Second, the centrality of Jesus's death and resurrection. The fancy theological term for this is Christocentrism. Third, the importance of personal conversion. That is that people get to make their own choice about whether or not they would like to follow Jesus. And although they might be brought up in a community of faith who would do things to perhaps mark their inclusion and participation, they would need to ultimately decide for themselves. And finally, activism that it would be important to be involved in the world in ways that would align with who God is. Authority of scripture, a high view of the Bible, Christocentrism, personal choice, and activism. We also unpacked that each of these four had sometimes been commandeered by our more conservative counterparts so that a high view of the Bible might mean that you have to take it literally, which we do not. We want to take it seriously. Focusing on the centrality of Jesus might mean you have to believe in something called penal substitutionary atonement, which is the fancy way of saying that God requires punishment in order to deal with sin. We do not. That believing in personal choice and conversion means that everybody has to have a moment wherein they pray the prayer that can be marked on a calendar. And we're not so sure that it wouldn't also be true that many people grow in their trust with Jesus, that it's more of a process than it is a single moment. And yet that that is very legitimate. And that activism just means that you need to be a part of evangelism, making sure you tell everyone you meet about Jesus. And so woe to the poor person who sits next to you on a flight because you are going to try and convert them by the time you hit the tarmac. We don't necessarily think that's our best way to introduce people to the person of Jesus, but we do think that a holistic engagement with our neighbor that would lead to their good would be an incredibly important part of our faith. Now, imagine, if you will, a suitcase, which I know is a six-sided thing because it's a cube. Nevertheless, we have the four sides that surround the edges of a suitcase. And I think that in a lot of ways, the historical pillars of evangelicalism, the good version of them, at least, was that these four things created space, a lot like the inside of a suitcase. And inside the space of these four sides, you could hold things like topics and questions 
about how to look out at the world and live in it. Inside this case, you could find space for lots of styles and forms of worship. The organ and the drums fit inside the suitcase. Inside, there was space for lots of different practices, from classic Christian practices that have been talked about for a long time to creative Christian practices that are maybe a little atypical. Inside this case, we could even find space to discuss public policy, ethics, and other controversial topics, because these four things were a way to approach faith. They were an approach. And as they became the approach, there was space within them for dialogue. You could take any example and say, well, here's a great question. And because of our high view of scripture, we're going to look at what it might say about this. Or here's a really important topic. I want to consider the way that Jesus's life might speak to that topic and what it might mean for us. It was an approach. But over time, the space in the suitcase was filled up by mainly men and by mainly white folks, by popular churches or parachurches who saw evangelical not as an approach, but as a series of assertions. So a lot of heavy things got put inside the suitcase. Assertions about how exactly the Bible works, often literally. Assertions about sex, often in the form of purity culture. Assertions about exactly how we should all vote, often in the form of single-issue voting, voting on abortion and queer rights. Assertions about what weddings to attend, although many of them aren't actually connected relationally enough to be invited to those weddings anyway. Assertions about how to dress, what music to listen to, what personality traits women can have so as not to threaten or undermine men, what personality traits men should have so as to be the best versions of themselves. It got heavy. It got too heavy. This week I read Luke's gospel and I noticed a couple of things. First, this is a 24 chapter uh, book and there were 21 times that Jesus says or does something that either moves him towards the marginalized or pushes on the powerful. 21 times in the 24 chapters does Jesus explicitly, really overtly, move to the marginalized or push on the powerful. The second thing I noticed were these words specifically from chapter 11, starting at verse 39, and I'm going to read through verse 47 in the NLT. The Lord said to him, You Pharisees are so careful to clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside you are filthy, full of greed and wickedness. Fools, didn't God make the inside as well as the outside? So clean the inside by giving gifts to the poor and you'll be clean all over. What sorrow awaits you Pharisees for you are careful to tithe even the tiniest income from your herb gardens, but you ignore justice and the love of God. You should tithe, yes, but do not neglect the more important things. What sorrow awaits you, Pharisees, for you love to sit in the seats of honor in the synagogues and receive respectful greetings as you walk in the marketplaces. Yes, what sorrow awaits you, for you are like hidden graves in a field. People walk over them without knowing the corruption they are stepping on. Teacher, said an expert in religious law, you have insulted us too in what you just said. And I love what the translation team did here. Verse 46, yes, 
said Jesus. What sorrow also awaits you experts in religious law. For you crush people with unbearable religious demands and you never lift a finger to ease the burden. What sorrow awaits you. For you build monuments for the prophets your own ancestors killed long ago. So much could be impacted from what Jesus says here, but I particularly want to point out two things. The first was this idea of a people who might tithe a percentage of even herb gardens and yet neglect justice and the love of God. And the second would be the monuments to the prophets and yet being the very ancestors of those who killed the same prophets. Every now and then, people enjoy speculating on how we might respond were Jesus to be bodily among us today, doing and saying the types of things he did and said then. People want to speculate on whether we would understand, see clearly, respond rightly. And of course, we all want to imagine that we would. And we all love to imagine that those people are missing it. We, of course, need to be humble about that. And yet it's a wonderful and curious question. Back in 2019, we closed Are We Evangelical by saying, we might not look like some of the other evangelical churches out there, not because we're less evangelical, but because at the risk of being a bit inflammatory here, we actually think we're closer to these historic principles of evangelicalism than a lot of them are, which is why we're reluctant to just cut ties with the evangelical movement, even if maybe we should. But things have changed. The word has changed. Language changes, meanings change, and the word has continued to change. Just as one example, the Pew Research Center, which does a lot with the word evangelical, noted a couple of things in the 2020 data that it collected. That those who self-describe as evangelical but attend religious service seldom to never, 10 to 15%. And you say, okay, well, you know, we don't have to be at formal services. What about the informal ones? Places where people gather to pray or be part of some sort of class. Well, they looked at that too. People who self-describe as evangelical and are part of some other prayer or learning group, seldom to never, 30 to 40%. In 2008, about a third of evangelicals who never attended church said they were politically conservative. By 2019, that had risen to about 50%. They also noted this time that non-Protestants are embracing evangelical. Half of Muslims who attend service at a mosque more than once a week and align with the GOP self-identify as evangelical. In essence, writes Gary Burge, many Americans are coming to the understanding that to be very religiously engaged and very politically conservative means that they are evangelical, even if they don't believe in the divinity of Jesus Christ. Political landscape has also changed. Following Jesus has always had political implications. And people who trust Jesus can and should dialogue about those implications. They're complicated, and there's a lot of nuance. But it's unchristian to want the government to save us. It makes an idol of it, misplacing our trust in Jesus. And it requires us to use power in a way that is misaligned with God's character. And our collective reputation has changed. It's being formed by forces we can't counter. And some of the caricatures of evangelical might be unfair, but most aren't. Evangelicalism is the religion of today's Pharisees. It's too heavy a burden, and trying to carry it keeps people from Jesus. So no, I don't think we're evangelical. We're following Jesus into the world together. We're centered on Jesus. We're looking at the world and seeing it 
as made in love and care by God. And so we lean in, not pull away. We're still going to try and do this together with a group, as a group, not a monolith, but a community. We want to live lives marked by sacrifice, authenticity, openness, relationship, and diversity. What's been put in your suitcase that's just too heavy? What have you been carrying thinking it's what God wants? Might it be that you could take courage from Jesus's critique of the Pharisees, recognizing that that heavy burden was not placed there by the God who loves you, but by powerful people who burdened you? Maybe today is a day it could be just a little bit lighter as you walk in love.